Welcome to episode four of the New Generation Podcast. On this episode, we're here with Kenneth Nan, writer of The Sneaker Law, former general counsel of Yeezy, and current professor at the University of Miami. On this episode, we talk about a lot of things that can be attributed to people who are 12 and people who are 40. It goes every way. Anybody of any age can listen to this episode and learn something from it. I think it's a really great learning episode. Other than that, my audio and video were a little bit messed up just because I was recording off my laptop because my PC decided to break like two minutes beforehand. I got it fixed now, which is how I'm editing it, but I had to do it off my laptop, which is why my video is so bad. But most of you won't see my video as most of you are listening on streaming platforms. So other than that, let's just get into the episode. Thank you for watching. Peace. The first question I want to talk to you about is just what's a personal story from working at Yeezy that you can share? Sure. Well, um, first of all, it's good to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Um, there's not a ton of things I can share about Yeezy due to confidentiality um, and a, an agreement that I signed when I was there. Um, but uh, I can't say what having the job meant to me personally. I mean, just um, being a sneakerhead since I was age seven or eight um, and then being a hip hop fan since around the same time and coming up listening to artists that um, influenced Kanye and then listening to Kanye um, who influenced me. Um, a lot of people don't know, but before I went to law school, I was into music production. I was trying to make it in the music business as a producer. And uh, it was just sort of around the same time when Kanye was doing the same thing. Um, and obviously I didn't have uh, the success that he had in the music business, um, but I had the same passion and interests. And uh, when I went to law school, um, I continued to follow his career, went to many of his concerts, um, followed his fashion career. And then after I graduated law school and started practicing law, you know, it was always interesting to me to see the convergence of his different interests play out in business. And um, when I got the job at Yeezy, it was like uh, the perfect storm for me. Like my worlds had collided, all the interests that I had in hip hop, fashion, sneakers, um, law had all come into one. And so I remember the first day I was driving out to Calabasas to um, show up at work and I was super nervous because um, obviously uh, it was a new job. It was something very different. I wasn't sure whether I would fit in. I wasn't sure whether I was capable of doing the job. You know, you have all those fears. Um, but I just remember driving to work, playing Kanye West and, and, uh, and just like being so excited, like, you know, this, this couldn't be a better fit for me. And uh, when I got in the door, I realized that this is exactly where I belonged. Um, and it was a, a crazy feeling for me, especially midway through my career. I would say I was 37 at the time. And uh, I didn't think that my, my career would take a, a, a massive change for the better at that time in my life. It was really eye-opening and exciting. So. Um, that was just a, you know, just a personal anecdote about how it felt for me coming from a traditional law practice into, into working at Yeezy as the general counsel. Mm. I mean, at some point it just kind of hits you. Like it, that's what it sounds like there is that you kind of just hit you as you were walking in, just like, I'm really doing something that I've dreamed of for a long time. So I'm working with someone that's inspired me. It yeah. And nobody, yeah. And nobody, you know, when you're doing something completely new, like there was no general counsel of Yeezy. Um, nobody even told me that I could have such a position when you're doing something completely new and there's no blueprint for it. 
um, it's really hard to know what, you know, is the perfect job for you if it doesn't exist. And, uh, you know, I thought, um, I, I thought I would just always be a traditional lawyer working in a law firm. I mean, I knew that I could go in-house to a company at some point, but I didn't know that, uh, you know, this kind of company that had everything that I was interested in wrapped into one would, you know, would exist and, mm. um, that there would even be a role like this for me. Yeah, exactly. Uh, the first question I really want to talk with you about is what prompted you? So before you went to Yeezy, you had already been established in law. You were a lawyer before then you had worked with a firm. What kind of prompted you to leave what you'd already made and kind of make a huge decision that could have really gone either way to go over to Yeezy? Yeah, it really could have gone either way. Um, but I guess those are the risks you you take sometimes. I just know that at, at the time uh, when I, right before I got the job, I was not entirely happy in my current role. Mm. And, um, you know, there are a variety of factors that played into that. Um, but ultimately, I was seeking something that was more aligned with my passions. And I, you know, I was very fortunate that this came to me fairly quickly once I started to manifest like what 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 could be right for me what could be the right role for me um it all started with just trying to market myself as a as a lawyer to clients that were more aligned with my interests so I said okay well if if I want to make my law practice more exciting I could bring in more clients that do what I love which is make sneakers work on fashion um are in the music business, are creative directors, or do something creative. And so I just started thinking about ways that I could market myself better. I had some clients that were doing things that I loved, and those were what I was most interested in. But I also had a ton of clients that were doing things that I didn't really have any interest in, but I had to um, generate business for the firm, generate business for myself. And so I would take clients no matter where they came from. And, um, you know, I think as I started thinking about what I was most excited about, these opportunities started to unfold. And, uh, you know, the opportunity to go to Yeezy sort of fell in my lap. I, you know, I won't get into too much detail about how it happened. Um, I'm sure there are some, some things in the public that you can read about that. But um, I will say that I was talking to my wife about it and we did say, yeah, this could go either way. Like I could show up on day one and it could not work out. And mm -hmm. I will have left my law firm practice. I will have, you know, turned my back on all my clients and, uh, and I might be stuck at square one, but that was a risk I was willing to take. I figured, you know, even if it lasted only two weeks, it would have been inspiring for me to be at Yeezy and to be at such a um, dynamic company. And uh, I took that chance and I ended up staying there two and a half years. So um, had I not taken that leap, I never would have known. So I think that's just the way life is, right? Like you can sit around and lawyers are great at this. Lawyers are great about sitting around and saying, you know, analyzing all the things that could go wrong and all the risks and all the pitfalls um, and then never take the leap because by the time they've analyzed every negative, they've talked themselves out of taking the risk in the first place. Mm. And I think that's one of the things that made me a little bit uh, edgier or different or more risk tolerant than, than most lawyers is that I said, okay, well, these are the risks, but screw it. Let's give it a shot. And, uh, you know, when I've taken those risks, 
uh, they've usually panned out fairly well for me. Yeah. And when you take a risk, there's what it sounds like here is that you're in a situation that there's something that you already have that you've created, but you're not sure it's what you want to do completely for the rest of your life. I mean, it's something that you think can get you through, but it's not something that's exactly what you've planned out for yourself. It sounds like you planned out for yourself from a young age that you wanted to work in hip hop and work with people uh, with fashion and shoes and all that sort of stuff. You knew you wanted to do that, but you already had something established that was working in that sort of dabbling in it, but not super established in it. Yeezy is very established in it. And you took a possible, what could be a pretty bad risk, but also could have a massive reward. And you jumped, jumped over to Yeezy, which is ended up sounding like it worked out pretty well for you. I mean, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think, you know, when we talk about like my childhood and the things I was, I was interested in, I mean, you know, just like my kids today, I have a 13 year old and a 10 year old, they like video games, they like basketball. um, You know, they like music. I had all those interests and no one really told me that Kenneth, when you're 30, everything that you love, sneakers, basketball, video games, these are all going to be multi-billion dollar industries. And there are careers in those industries. Like, you know, adults are usually the ones that say, oh, stop playing video games. Stop, you know, stop trading baseball cards. Stop doing all these things that waste your time and go figure out something that you can make a career out of. But nobody said to me, you know, the sneakers that you're so excited about putting on your feet and playing basketball in are going to become a multi-billion dollar industry that are going to be heavily marketed, are going to have, you know, legal issues, are going to have business issues. And um, you could be a, a force in that in that industry if you keep pushing in that direction. And so nobody said that to me. So I went to law school. I got a very traditional legal job and I started working as a lawyer in this role that was crafted for me. It's not the one that I crafted for myself. And so um, I had to step back and look at this and say, okay, well, I have a little bit of experience now. Um, What about applying this experience that I have in this traditional role to something non-traditional, which is what I was so excited about as a kid. And I think that's the, that's the message I try to teach my kids today is like, okay, if you love Fortnite, if you love um, Hitman three, or if you love um, playing basketball, why don't you look at the business sides? Why don't you look at what people do in this industry and how they got there? And you'll find that many people started where you were just as a consumer, as a fan, as a avid game player, as a, trader or as a collector or reseller and uh and find a way to legitimize that so that you can do what you love for the rest of your life nobody told me that growing up my parents didn't have that magic um key magic sauce and i'm you know i think that's a big thing now in the way i try to teach my kids about the way they look at what they're excited about now find a way to channel your passions into what you love. They're, you know, very early on, like you are, you don't have to worry about having a job right now or one that's in a career that you love, but it's never too early to start thinking about these things. And um, those decisions I could have made much earlier on when taking those risks would have been less risky, right? Like I had a, a, a family, I had a, a house, a mortgage, like all these crazy things. And so when I left the practice of law to go work at Yeezy, that was much more daunting than it could have been. You know, so um, I think these are lessons like I try to when when I have these conversations, 
I try to teach these lessons so that people like yourself and people in age groups such as yours can take a shortcut or maybe, um, you know, go around all of the long winded and long, you know, career path that I had to go through just to get to where I am today. Yeah. And I mean, at some point, if you, if you take the risk before it develops into a risk, then if you take, if you take the shot before it develops into a risk, then it's never going to develop into a risk. If you do something that could in the future be risky, but it's not right now. If I, I, when I, when I first got interested into sneakers, of course, it's not a risk for me right now. If I want to resale because I don't have a house, I don't have a car, I don't have tons of debt or anything like that that I would have to pay back or have to make that I could possibly lose. I have nothing to lose right now. I mean, right. when I, when I want to go into a business, the only thing I lose is the money I put in it first, which is not going to lose me my house. Cause I don't have one, not going to lose my car. Cause I don't have right. one, all that sort of stuff. Like I can take risks right now because in the future, these could be massive rewards and there's almost no risk at the beginning of it. There's no risk yeah, at the onset when you're younger. What's the biggest downside to taking a risk? I'll ask you that question. Like, what is the worst thing that could happen? I mean, the worst thing that could happen for me when I started sneaker reselling, the worst thing that could happen for me was losing the $200 I put in at first, which is not going to kill me. I'm not going to lose my house. I'm not going to be on the streets. I'm not going to have to. But did you, but, but if you take the risk and let's say, so the answer to the question is the biggest, the worst thing that could happen when you take a risk is failure, right? Yeah. You could fail at whatever you took the risk on. Mm -hmm. But the 200 hours that you spent selling kicks or learning some trade or something like that, you don't lose those. Mm -hmm. You still have those. You have the experience that you gained. And even though you failed, there's a learning experience in failure. So, so um, had you not taken the risk, you would have never experienced the failure, which means you would have never even done anything. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a bigger failure than taking a risk and not succeeding in that risk. The biggest failure you can have is not trying something. And while you're young, you can, like you said, you can take these risks. You can try these crazy ideas. And the worst thing that happens is you lose some time, you lose some money, and you gain some experience. And I think the biggest thing you could be doing right now is gaining experience. So when I try to talk to my kids, and they don't always listen to me because I'm dad, but when you, you know, when you, when you want to do something, don't be afraid to fail. Failure is only the path of getting to where you need to be. Every businessman or any entrepreneur that you talk to will tell you that they failed multiple times before they got to where they are successful today. And maybe they took those risks when they weren't so risky. Um, you know, I was sort of in a unique position where I took a risk um, later on in my life when it was more risky, but I've taken other risks along the way. And that made me more comfortable with taking a risk when I got to a point where I was making a, a, a major career decision. So if you're able to take those risks and you're comfortable with them and you realize that the worst thing that can happen is failure, you'll be able to assess and calculate risk much better when bigger decisions come your way. And you'll be able to say, okay, well, I can do this because the, the, reward is much greater, as you said, than the failure. Mm -hmm. And even with me starting this podcast, like there's, there was virtually no risk to it. I I'm 14. I have no, I have, I don't have a full-time job. I don't work. I don't even work a part-time job currently. This, this is my part-time job, this and selling sneakers. I don't have a grocery bagging job or anything like that. 
I don't have any sort of thing that I could lose currently by starting this. The worst thing that could happen is someone makes a joke about it, which hasn't even happened. Like I haven't gotten anything about it. People actually, uh, people I've talked to from my friends said they enjoyed the episodes. Like the worst thing that could happen to me is so minuscule that it's almost non-existent. Yeah. I mean, the worst thing that could happen is a, you'll embarrass yourself mm -hmm. and you'll say something you didn't want to say. My light keeps going out or B um, someone will make fun of you and they're just hating because they can't do it themselves. Exactly. The risks are so minor that there's almost no risk involved at all with a 30 year old starting a podcast and trying to go full-time in podcasting. There's so many more risks because they have to worry about, am I bringing in enough money to pay my rent? Am I bringing enough money to pay off uh, my car? Am I bringing enough money to pay off my student loans? All that sort of stuff is you have, they have to worry about how much they're going to be able to bring in, how much they're going to be able to do uh, how much money money is a huge issue at that point because you have to worry about whether you could support yourself. I currently don't need to support myself right. and I can take the time to have great conversations with people and get to know things that I wouldn't have learned myself and make an interesting to other people podcast, what I, or what I hope it is. Yeah. Uh, and I the have, biggest risk you took when you emailed yeah. me was that I would not respond or that yeah. I would decline and, uh, you know, here we are. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the reason why I did this podcast is because um, I think more kids your age need to be taking these risks and need to be shooting their shot because you only miss if you don't, you know, you, you take the shot. What is the, the slogan? Like you miss 100% of the shots, the shots you don't, don't take. take. Yep. Yeah. And so um, there was something like you, you, you got me at the right time. Um, I thought about it and I said, you know, if I was in your shoes, and I asked for a similar interview, um, I would hope that that person would say yes. And, you know, I think what I, what I wish is that 14 year old me had access and had the ambition and drive that you have. And so, um, you know, here we are and, and that's why I agreed to this. So you never know how things are gonna play out if you don't take that shot. Yeah, I mean, if I, if I, had, if I had not emailed you, then we wouldn't be here. If I had emailed you and you had said no, we wouldn't be here. But right. I could always have, I could, I, there's always something else I could have done to continue my podcast. Uh, there's, there's more that I could, there's another guest I could have found. Like the, sure. you have to be able to, you have to be able to go and do further things, which is not to say I didn't, I didn't want you on the podcast. That's why I emailed you in the first place. But yeah. I could have, I can keep moving. Of course. It's not, nothing is going to, sending out that email is never going to end your, 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 plans and let me tell you that's one of the that's one of the biggest lessons you can learn in business like you know Mm -hmm. um when my co-author jared and i are promoting sneaker law like not everybody wanted to stock it in their stores not everybody wanted to um buy it or um be an influencer for us or you know people wouldn't even you know some people didn't even grant us an interview the same thing it's like but we keep pushing and, and now they're they're catching on and they're coming back to us or um you know you, you don't let you don't let one person stop what you're trying to do if you believe in it. Mm-hmm. And it, once you if you get if you if you don't get an email response, if you don't get a if you when so when you when, when you reach out to someone and you don't get a response, that's never going to end what you're doing. You're never going to be it shouldn't it should. Yeah, it, it should. Unless you let it. If you let unless it, you let it, if you let it, I've sent out probably five emails before this that I just have not gotten a response to 
I sent out a couple emails to a couple different people who I wanted to have on the podcast. Just never got anything from them. But I didn't quit. I didn't say just because X person doesn't want to come on my podcast means that my podcast is terrible, that it's awful, that no one will ever want to come on it. I didn't right. say that to myself. I said, there are more people who would come on my podcast. Why not reach out to those people? And why, why not? not? Why not find, I mean, like, at that point, it's just how many people do you want to reach out to? How many people do you want to take the time to do? And if you take the time to go and talk to a bunch of people, to go and make yourself known by people, you will be better as a businessman. You will be better as you will, you will be better in general as a person if you take the time to go out and talk to people. Uh, I think there's, I forgot exactly what the saying is, but it's maybe like your network is your net, it's your network is your net worth, I think. Correct. And going out and reaching out and talking to people who could have some sort of influence on your life is massive. Like if I, having conversations is one of the biggest things that you can do if you want to become more successful in your business. Because if I, just if I talk to who I know, if I talk to people who I met before anything, if I want to get business advice and I go out and reach out to my friend from school who doesn't know a ton about business, then I'm not going to get advice, good advice. But if I have a network of people who I know and who I've worked through business, then I can go and say, hey, do you know about X? What have you done to combat X in your business? What have you done to what have you done about this problem? Uh, have you ever faced this problem? There's, they're going to have better advice than the people that you start with. So building up your network to get people who you can talk to and get people who you can get advice from is huge because everything is good at, everybody is good at something. Yes. Everybody that you talk to is good at something. And if you can become a combination of the people you talk to, if I went and talked to Elon Musk and he taught me about, uh, starting your business, coming up with names, coming up with, and coming up with the basic drawing board. If I went to Jeff Bezos and he's really good about the execution phase of starting your business, I could go and learn that. If I can combine those two, I will have the biggest business on the planet at that point because they have the best advice themselves for those people. And everybody is good at something. So if you combine what people are good at, you're going to be able to bake something like a almost like a, a supernova maybe i don't know the exact words but a, yes. a creation of everything that people are good at it's going to be huge if you can yeah, i agree i agree you should you know as you start you know getting older and formulating your career you should have mentors and you should have people you network up the food chain but i also think it's very important this is something that i didn't learn so much later in life that um, you have people that you take on your journey with you that you can grow with and you can learn things together. So a friend, um, you know, anyone that you can say, all right, well, we're both, we both share this passion. How can we put our resources and our skills together to get to where we're going faster than we did on our own? Like obviously a podcast, this is something that you have, that it's a personal thing that you do. Um, but you might find, and the best analogy that I can use is my sneaker law book, um, there's no way that I could have gotten that done on my own. Like I have a business partner. I have a writing partner, a co-author. We're now co-professors of classes. We teach them together and everything we do, we do together. And he is my peer and my equal in this business venture. And, um, you know, you may have a friend who compliments what your skills are. Like maybe you're better at the podcast and this person's better behind the scenes at running the business or, you know, influencer marketing or, you know, 
building a following on social media, you'll find that like you have certain skill sets and this is what business is all about. It's about creating a team and the best leaders are the ones who, who can inspire others and who can create a team around them that fills in the gaps for things that they're not good at, right? Mm -hmm. We become the best leaders when we realize what we're good at and what we're not good at. And when we're not good at something, we bring people in that are the best at that. Yeah, who are good at that thing. And then, you know, I think the reason why these business people like Musk and Bezos and Kanye and, you know, they're so good is because they're great collaborators, they're great leaders, and they bring in the best talent. Um, you know, it's never too early to start looking around you and saying, okay, well, what do I think about my friend, um, you know, in math class who might be really good at, you know, writing business plans or, or planning yeah. and organizing. I'm not good at planning. So, you know, I'm the action person. So it's about creating that space. And uh, it's always easier to get where you're going with someone else at your side. Hmm. I've got in my sneaker reselling, I've got one person who's behind the scenes getting the sneakers themselves. They spend their time looking at research guides. They spend their time uh, using different programs or trying to get through to get these sneakers that are really hyped up. We've got one yep. person who runs our social media side. He takes all of our videos and puts them on TikTok, puts them on Instagram, puts them on all sorts of social media platforms, Twitter, just to try and get our name out there more so we can get more people who possibly want to sell to us. And then we have one person or possibly want to buy to us either. And then we have one person who handles all the spreadsheets. He's really good with math. I'm not good with math. I, I'm terrible at math. Yeah. He, he is a very good, he is, he is a math brain, as I'd like to say. And he understands math very well. He does all our spreadsheets for us. The person who does sneaker, who does the physical getting of the sneakers is really good at what he does because he understands what programs he needs to run, how proxies work, how certain releases are going to go password pages all that sort of stuff that could go into getting a sneaker and then i do a lot of our social media stuff i understand what pictures do well on instagram like if i have better lighting in this picture uh i invested in a light box so we could take pictures in our light box for our sneakers that we get uh we figure out what tiktoks do well all sorts of stuff like that and if you could combine all those people together you can make a winner because i'm not I'm not the best at getting the sneakers behind the scenes. My friend, really good at it. I'm not the best at math. My other friend, really good at that. And the other two, you could say the same opposite ways about them. A uh, friend who's really good at math, he's not great about getting the sneakers. He's not great about social media, but he can do the math. If you could put all the people in together who are able to do certain things and able to complete tasks as a unit, you'll be more successful than if you just try and do everything yourself. Absolutely. And if you try to do everything yourself, you know, one, one thing you might tell yourself is, well, I could keep all the profits, right? I wouldn't have to split mm -hmm. them. But yeah, you'd be doing everything all the time. And you might not have enough time to tackle all the things that your team can, can do together. So um, I think it's a, it's a great approach. And I'm sure that's one of the reasons why you guys are being successful. Mm -hmm. So you're a man of many different things that you do. You love sneakers, you teach, you work with law. How do how much do those things overlap together? Like I, I get that there's the sneaker law, of course, is one of the biggest overlap of those two. Uh, but how like how do you see those overlapping? Because if you could take your talents and push them all together, you could do well. Like what we're talking about. So how do those things overlap with each other? Well, today everything that I do in my career overlaps, um, and I don't work on things that that I 
feel don't fit within what I'm interested in or what my passions are. Um, and that was a personal decision that I made when I left Yeezy was that I would not go back to a traditional law firm practice that didn't inspire me. And that if I was going to practice law, I would focus on um, clients and areas that interest me the most. So sneakers, streetwear, fashion, um, and related areas like NFTs and the metaverse. Mm -hmm. uh, but um, I think that was a realization as, you know, going back to what we discussed earlier, that was a realization that didn't come to me until um, much later in my career. When I saw, and this is when I met Jared, my co-author, we started talking about writing on sneakers and the law, which was a great way to, to take two things that we were excited about and that we were proficient at and experienced in um, and put them together. And, and that grew um, over time. It took us four years to write that book. And during the time that we were writing that book, I got a job at Yeezy. Um, he got, uh, you know, he was working at Complex. Then he got a job uh, out of school and was working in-house at a company called Undertone, which did, did digital advertising. And, um, and we started just crafting. We started like making this book into the Bible of, of sneakers. And so um, although it's called Sneaker Law, it covers everything you need to know about the sneaker business. And, uh, and as I was unpacking these things personally, I was saying, well, you know, there's no reason why I have to do anything that's not aligned with my passions because um, I now am working at uh, probably the most influential sneaker company in the game right now. And um, at some point that job will end and I'll be able to transition to something else. And I didn't worry about like what I would be doing five years from now, 10 years from now. I just said, let me just keep, you know, poking away. Let me keep trudging away at this, um, this sneaker lawyer um, fashion angle. And, you know, sure enough, opportunities unfolded. And I now have created a personal brand for myself, which is very important. Like, you know, um, if you look at my LinkedIn, if you look at my Instagram, Although sometimes I post photos of my, my, my children on Instagram and my wife and my, and my personal matters, everything that I post really has something to do with my personal brand and the image that I want to create to people that might come to me and say, hey, I need your help on something. I need, I need you to pitch in. I'm starting a business and can I get your legal advice or I'm, I'm starting a business and can I get your operational and business advice? Um, I have a sneaker company that I want to grow and expand. Can you help me with investors? They come to me now because of my personal brand. And that's something that I very carefully started building as soon as I got to Yeezy. I started posting on social media about my love for sneakers and my intersection of sneakers and the law. Then sneaker law came out and that, you know, solidified me and Jared as experts in this field. Then um, I started working with early stage companies and people started talking about, oh, Kenneth, you know, he's the guy that helped, you know, um, get Yeezy where it is today. And, you know, we should talk to him about what, what he can help with our business. So it's a long-winded answer to just tell you that like everything that I work on now is all related to my personal brand and nothing is off brand. That's the biggest yeah. thing for me. I don't want to do anything that's off brand because the minute I start doing something that's off brand, it looks inauthentic. It looks like I'm reaching mm -hmm. for money that um, just because I want money and for me, it's not about the money. It's about doing what makes me excited and passionate. And so if I don't feel excited about it, I don't work on it. And, and that as a result has increased my business and my earning potential, my success 
exponentially. And I, and I highly recommend that to people like, obviously, there are going to be times in your life when you need to put food on the table and you need to pay the bills and keep the lights on. And you may not be working in something that you are 100% excited about. But you can be doing those things on the side until that side thing takes over and sustains your main income uh, you know, generator. And we're seeing a lot of people do that now because of the pandemic. A lot of people are stepping back from their jobs or saying, you know, I'm home now. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not in the office all the time. And I know this isn't relevant to a 14-year-old, but like this is like the future for you. Like what is what's going to be the path that I have to choose? And uh, there are great ways, like people go to business school on the side, they have side hustles that grow and they end up becoming their primary hustle. You know, all of those things are what you should be working on, even if your main job is not the one that's on brand to what you love. And I think that is, that's what will create a more meaningful life for you that will create um, more meaningful opportunities and um, more passion and drive in what you do every day. Mm-hmm. And talk about personal brand and staying on brand. I had a TikTok page that I still consistently post on a little bit uh, where I did like lifestyle content and tech and I didn't do much gaming content. I started to do more of that now, but I hit, I had like a lower and I had probably 4,000 followers, 5,000 followers or so. And I got an email and it was from this mobile game. And it was like, would you be willing to take $300 to post about our mobile game? And I ended up actually saying no, because I mean, at this point, I didn't do any mobile gaming content. I didn't make any content about gaming. Uh, and I also didn't think the brand was that authentic. I, I thought it looked kind of fishy, but I mean, when I looked at it, I was saying, this doesn't, this doesn't, this doesn't match up with what I do. I don't, I've, I've never posted about gaming. If I go and post an ad about a game, People are going to say, I mean, you've never posted about gaming before. Why post about it now? Well, because I wanted to get money and I didn't need, I didn't need the money. I mean, there was no, I mean, yeah, I would have liked to have $300. I mean, of course I would have, but at this point it wasn't, it wasn't like I needed to make that $300 to feed my family, which I didn't, uh, to do, to do any sort of thing that I would require me to make that money. There was no requirements. And I think what was bigger for me was staying on, was, was making sure I don't look like almost a sellout at that point where someone who gets offered money and just throws away what they've created. And I feel like if I wanted, if I could, if I wanted to switch to gaming content later and not do advertised gaming content at first, yeah, I could. I mean, I could make a couple of videos on games that I play about Valorant or Fortnite or anything like that and say, well, this is something that I've been doing. So this is something I enjoy, but I'm not going to post an ad the first video I ever post about it because people are going to say, well, you've never posted about this before. Why do it now? And it's just ruining what I've created as a brand uh, to go and just chase, chase the money, sell out of what I've previously done. Yeah. I mean, we see that all the time with, celebrities and influencers, you know, um, you'll see the in the comment section, it's really easy to look. It's like, you know, somebody might post, uh, um, uh, like I saw this on Hypebeast recently. I don't know if you follow Hypebeast, but mm-hmm. Hypebeast has been posting a ton of content about Board Ape Yacht Club and 
NFTs. And there are people in the comments really upset saying like, you know, what is this page just um, getting paid off by NFT communities? And like, what is this content? This is not why I'm on Hypebeast. Hype is now hype, hype NFTs or whatever. Um, and, and people have said like, I'm going to unfollow. Now, Hypebeast might say, this is an area that we want to get into and we want to grow into this because we believe this is the future. And yeah. so they might lose some followers because their followers think that this is off brand, but maybe they're trying to, you know, grow their, their brand. brand, right? Expand their brand. And that may be a decision that they've consciously made that, oh, we might lose some followers in the short term, but in the long term, we think this metaverse thing is the future and we want to continue posting about it. So if we don't hop on this wave early enough, we're going to, it's going to look even more off brand, right? So um, that's one example, but there's also the, the flip side where it's like, you know, um, take your favorite artist. If they start posting, you know, an ad for shampoo, you're going to be like, what are you doing, bro? Like, this is not, this is not something that I want to come to you for. I want to come to you because I respect you as an artist and I expect your artist, your artistic, um, you know, endeavors and, and all of your capabilities. Like, this is so not you. Um, and, uh, and that's a decision that they'll have to make. Do they want to take that advertising revenue to feed their families or um, will they turn it down to um, find things that are more closely related to their ideologies and their ethics and their, you know, whatever they stand for. So I think it's really important. And I think there's uh, a, oh, yeah. And I think there's a big difference between doing commercials and doing ads on your account because commercials like Lil Yachty and Sprite it was a very random commercial, but it wasn't like Lil Yachty was selling out of his brand by going to make a commercial with Sprite because first off, he's not promoting it himself. He's not putting it on his pages and saying, check out Sprite. Like uh, maybe he's never talked about Sprite. I, I, don't, I don't know anything about Lil Yachty's right. interactions with Sprite, but maybe he's never posted anything about it before. And he goes and posts it on his page and just starts posting all about this. No more rap content no more the content he makes and just starts consistently posting about Sprite. At that point, you know, he's just making a lot of money off it and it's not going to actually, it's not, it's not what he's actually trying to do as a brand, but if he's a, if he's a, in a commercial for it, it's not going to ruin it because it's, it's Sprite posting that it's, yeah. it's the brand posting and them getting more views because you're in it, not yes. you posting a brand and them getting more views because you posted it. There's a difference yeah. between being in an ad and being and making the ad. Yeah, that's one of the things that I do a lot in my um, consulting work now is I work on strategic partnerships. So what a strategic partnership is one that makes sense from both sides, right? Like it doesn't seem inauthentic. It doesn't seem selling out and it helps enhance the community around your business. And I think that's what... Um, people struggle to learn the most in, in identifying culture. When they talk about, oh, sneaker culture or streetwear culture, um, people want to be a part of it and they try to buy their way into it or they try to do things that are inauthentic. Uh, there's no way that you can do that. It will, you'll have a very short-lived career if you try to do things that are inauthentic. So, um, you know, it seems like you've got your finger on the pulse of what is right for your personal brand, what is right for your, your career, and you turn down opportunities that don't fit and you explore ones that do. So um, it's great. It's a great lesson. Yeah, exactly. It's just, there's so many things about personal brands that are affected by everything you do. And 
I talked about this last episode is when you, when you take all of the things you do as a, as a creator, as you do online, it becomes what people will know you for. Whether or not you want Snapchat spotlight to become your main social media platform. If you're a YouTuber and you want to be a YouTuber and say, or you're a Twitch streamer and you want to be a Twitch streamer, but you're posting on other platforms, people are still going to know you from your other platforms. They're like, you may not want to be known from TikTok, but right. TikTok being one of the best social media platforms to grow on, you're going to get people who know you from TikTok if you post on there even a couple of times. It's, you're, you're not going to be able to pick and choose what people know you from in your brand. That's why you've got to keep everything together and everything. Because if I have streaming and I like to stream Valorant, that's all I stream is Valorant. I do professional gameplay or something like that. But on my TikTok, all I post is Call of Duty. It, it wouldn't make sense. And for someone who's really interested in Call of Duty, who sees my TikToks, even if I don't want them to people to see my TikToks a ton, but I still want to get note. It like it doesn't make sense. Okay. If they come over to my stream and expect that and expect Call of Duty content, and they're gonna never gonna get it. Right. It, it it just your personal brand has to be. You you could if you if you posted Valorant content and you posted Call of Duty content or you streamed Call of Duty and Valorant, that could work. Oh yeah. But if you're gonna Put, if you're going to put one side of you out on a, some, some social media platform and another side of you out on a different one, it's never going to work because people are going to come and collide on the two platforms and be confused as who is yes. this person who's doing this. I thought I was coming to see this person who was doing this. Yes. And that's why, yeah. that's why it's so important is when you, when you build up a brand, when you build up a persona, you've got to have, you've got to be uniform. You've got to be correct in all, you've got to be, you've got to be the same everywhere. You can't be, you can't be a different person on different, in different places. You've got to be the same everywhere. Agreed. Agreed. Mm -hmm. So the next question I wanted to ask you is, can you give us a brief overview on what you would refer to as sneaker law and why is it applicable? Applicable. I can't pronounce words. Yeah. So um, sneaker law, as we, as we discussed earlier, is basically the Bible for the sneaker industry. It's a, uh, one-stop shop for learning all you need to know about the sneaker business. And in sneaker law, we cover everything from licensing, marketing, reselling, um, counterfeits, starting your own business, how to file a trademark. I mean, it's all in there. So in sneaker law, we're teaching entrepreneurial principles that you might learn in business school or law school or even high school. And we're teaching them through this exciting and engaging lens of sneakers that it's never been done before, right? What Jared and I um, basically looked at when we were doing the research for our book was um, how do we take these extremely boring and intimidating topics that were forced down our throat in law school and for me, business school too, um, and how do we regurgitate them in a way that's meaningful and exciting for people like us, people that didn't fit in with the traditional um, law school student, you know, um, persona or uh, people that didn't relate to our professors or our law books or uh, our business books. And how do we just make it fun? How do we make it cool and exciting? And we did that with sneaker law. So when you open the pages of sneaker law, it's super um, 
uh, visual. It's, it's, it's designed like a coffee table, less like a, a textbook and more like a coffee table book. It looks like something you'd find uh, from a complex book or a sneaker freaker book or even Virgil Abloh's book. Um, and so we wanted it to be visually engaging. Uh, we also want it to be somewhat funny and, and entertaining. So when you read it, you don't feel like you're just bored and you want to go to sleep. You feel like you want to keep turning the pages and learning more. Um, we also use real world examples that that people can relate to. So for example, when we talk about starting your own business, we walk people through what a sole proprietorship is. And the best example we give of a sole proprietor was when Jared had his own resale business in college and he didn't formalize his business in any way. It was just him selling kicks, right? And so a lot of people don't know, but when you're not formally um, regarded as an entity, you have a sole proprietorship and you're just, you know, carrying on business, but that doesn't mean that you can't make your business more formal. And we tell people the benefits and the, the pros and cons of, of formalizing your business. And so now if you have a reselling business and you read our chapter, you might say, oh, wow, now I need to form an LLC because I have expenses and I have deductions and I have um, filings and um, I pay taxes and you know all these things. So we walk people through those examples, real world examples through sneakers so that they can understand it and appreciate it. Because we knew when we were coming up in law school, um, nobody explained it to us in a way that made sense to us. So uh, that's one thing. And then it's, it's also applicable because students just want cool stuff today. Like I've talked to hundreds, if not thousands of um, students that are uninspired. They don't feel like they get enough um, relevant material from their current educational um, constructs. And so we created sneaker law to be adopted by colleges, universities, and law schools. And it's happening slowly. We're now um, required reading at Harvard Law School, required reading at University of Miami, Rutgers Law School, Parsons Design School has adopted our book. Um, we're all over the country. And it's because these professors are looking and saying, I can teach the same things that I've been trying to teach to my students that they've been having a difficult time understanding through this exciting lens of sneaker law. And I don't have to change what I'm teaching. I'm just changing the way in which I'm teaching it. And uh, that's been really cool. It's been very validating for us to know that our book can be used at these amazing institutions. But Jared and I aren't stopping until our book is in every college or every high school because we believe strongly that everything that we teach in sneaker law is essential to learning how to be an entrepreneur. And if you don't learn these things, then you're at a disadvantage when you step into the real world. And it's really inspiring just to hear the things that you talk about on this podcast and what you've shared with me, because it seems like you're, you know, 10 steps ahead of most kids your age. And I think that's wonderful because if you keep that ability to learn and grow and um, seek out mentors and, and look for re relevant and engaging learning opportunities, you never stop learning and you always will be successful. So, um, you know, that was sort of a, a uh, long-winded overview of how sneaker law is applicable and, and why we got into it. And um, it's doing exciting things. It's become a, a movement and we're really excited about it. It was a, a void that existed in the sneaker community and we're glad we filled it. Yeah, exactly. Uh, thank you for coming on the show. I'm out of questions right now. Uh, it was really, really interesting to have you on the show. I hope people take a lot out of what you said. Make sure to check out his book on sneaker law is he just talked about it. It's great. If you want to get into business in any sort of facet, 
Yeah, you can you can buy it at sneakerlaw.com. We're also on Amazon. And uh, thank you for having me. Um, it's good. It's good to uh, be connected with you and stay in touch. Mm-hmm. All right. Thank you for coming on the show.